Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Tuesday morning, July the 25th, 2023. And my guest this morning is a person who is probably close to a household name in the world of Americans abroad, but nobody knows anything about. So it is my great pleasure this morning to introduce you to Anthony Perrant of IRS Medic fame. Well, Anthony, welcome. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so I guess people don't know too much about me. They don't, I don't know, know anything about oh, you. Oh, my God. Well, all right. First thing, first thing is I'm actually not French-Canadian. Um, my last name is Parent. Parent, it's short for Parenti. Um, my, my, it was my, uh, my great-grandpa, Leonardo Parenti. Uh, he came to America. Um, and then my grandfather, Jerry, uh, shortened it up to parents uh, during World War II as he was a um, he was uh, providing arms to uh, the United States government. He was a heat treater. That's actually what he did. Um, so that's the first thing. And then I would say this. Um, I think I'm a weird combination of things. Um, the way that things rolled out for me and that um, probably that I was still driven because I really, really was driven. I think I was pretty sure I was going to be a rock star. Um, I thought my life was going that way. But but Anthony, you are a rock star. <laughs> you know, you, no, you put out you put out these video podcasts. I mean, you're 90% of the way there, but let's let's go way back in time for okay. a moment. I mean, when you were born, was your first thought in fact, I'm going to be a rock star? Or did you evolve into that slowly? Where were you born by the way? I was born in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, that's where I was born. Uh, right, there, uh, right down the. Is there a plaque there commemorating? Not, there, you know, there was a plaque for George uh, for George uh, Bush um, a few years ago up on ninety one, where's his birthplace of George Bush. I noticed it was taken down uh, quietly. Uh, <laughs> used to be one, yeah, birthplace of uh, yeah, George uh, George uh, W. Bush. Um, uh, was his birthplace. So, yep, in New Haven. So I am, uh, you know, as you would expect, I would be uh, about half Italian. Uh, actually, I'm only a quarter of Italian. Um, but um, that is where I was born. And uh, it has been, uh, you know, sort of, a, 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 I think, an interesting place to be. Uh, my dad was a, um, my dad worked for the state of Connecticut. Um, and that was sort of my perspective on things growing up. There's four of us. My dad worked for the state of Connecticut. So all he made is all he made. He has all, he also hustled on the weekends. He did uh, the national guard. Uh, he did that for a couple of weeks. And so that's, uh, you know, I was kind of, I would say though, I, at an early age, I did think that I would be something. I, I, uh, was, uh, fairly entertaining, uh, singing songs and dancing, uh, that sort of thing. I was in, in my old, my babysitter's, um, were quite entertained uh, with me, so I thought it was like I thought it really had something going. So, oh, would that um, mean that that your that the babysitters would pay your parents to come and listen to you sing? Uh that 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 I don't know. I'd have to check with them. I'd have to check in on them. I don't think so. But well, that, you know, a lot. I did a lot of a lot of BGS. You know, a lot of BGS. Uh, I was really into, um, and now I'm singing those now. Um, uh, uh, so. Uh, How do you mend a broken heart? Was the number one song on the day I was I was born, and I'm, I do a pretty good job at that one. 
Uh, so that's a fun one. So something's kind of come other, back. What other Bee Gees songs do you do you sing? The only one I can think of is, is Massachusetts off the top of my head. Yeah, that's not as good of a song. I would there there I would say that is um how can you mend a broken song? I think is the most fun one to sing. Um because it's got a bunch of great parts. And I do both I do both uh uh, uh Barry and um um robin uh robin's part so so basically you're fundamentally your dna is as a singer and, and an entertainer right it, yeah pretty much and then that was slowly beaten out of me well, how I did that, that happen <laughs> oh i think uh you know i think a lot of people uh you know you have a trauma in your life that uh totally undermines your entire personhood and your confidence is blown out and you have nothing left because you don't feel like you belong in this world anymore. Um, and you feel not, yeah, that you just don't belong. Um, and so that, that's really probably what happened to me. I was kind of, you know, going away that seemed like, you know, uh, up and up, but then, we, you know, there was, um, there was some stuff that happened and uh, it messed me up uh, pretty big. And so it took me a long time to recover from that. And actually, you know, a few decades to tell you the truth. It's something that decades to recover. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, but you did recover. That's the key point. Yeah, yeah. You keep going. Yeah, no, and you keep going. And I think that's uh, that's that's the whole part of this is that I kept going um, through everything that hit me, um, and I just kept going. So yeah, I, I finally found myself in a band um, in '93. So, so now, uh, sorry. Um, yeah. Can I ask you at least roughly how old are you in 93 when you find yourself in a band? So I was 22. Yeah. 22. Okay. So the first 22 years were, what would you do? The normal sort? Were you a Boy Scout? I was a Boy Scout. I knew that well, somehow. I know. Yeah, I was a Boy Scout. Now, my Tell older me. brother was an Eagle Scout, but I wasn't really good into doing the whole, okay, get this merit badge. Okay, go ask an adult for something. I'm like, oh, God, that's going to scare me. All so. right. So, so what we know about Anthony so far is he doesn't like the whole third party approval thing, particularly if it's asking an adult for a marriage. Right? <laughs> exactly. I would avoid that. I'm like, so your brother's an Eagle Scout. I'm guessing yeah. he's older. Yeah, my older brother's an Eagle Scout. Yeah. Oh my God. So you're a younger brother. I oh yeah, and I have a younger brother too. So I am the third of four. So Oh, so you get to play both roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, no, I've I've no, and it totally I think it, I think that's a huge part of what came into me, my my birthplace. Because I see it both ways. I see how, you know, I think, see how things roll down to me. And uh, I, you know, let some things roll down as well. Uh, it's the family but, equivalent of being a dual citizen, isn't it? Kind of. You know what? That's a good point. That actually might, that actually might understand uh, my whole affinity for this. That actually is pretty good insight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I see it both ways. Um, you know, and then I have my own role, too. Uh, absolutely, but you're looking up at your older brother, Eagle Scout. Oh yeah, you're saying, well, you know, I, I admire the fact that he got that. He, but I, I, I just, I, I'm not prepared to ask for enough merit badges to get there. All right, now, how far did you get in Boy Scouts? What, 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 uh, what are these <laughs> these rankings? How far did you get? Well, I was a very good camper. Uh, I was very, very skilled at, at, at um, stalking and lighting fires um, and would uh, win, you know, jamboree contests with that. But as far as rank went, I, I really only made it to first class. Uh, only got a couple of minutes. Uh, that's OK. That's yeah, one of our class. That's, all I, that's all I made it to. Didn't uh, didn't get to those prettier badges up there like life, heart and then eagle. Oh, man, that's uh, yeah. 
I just had to look at my brothers and just say, oh, man, if I could only comply. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question then. So do you consider yourself to be a, uh, a vicarious Eagle Scout through your brother? I could. I know enough. I would say I know enough. And I could probably fake it. I, I would be able to fake it. So you could walk into a room based on what you know about him and say, the name's Perrant. Anthony Perron, and I'm in, or sorry, parent, and I'm an Eagle Scout. See, I pronounce it because I yeah. live, in, and I and I'm an Eagle Scout. You can get away with it. You know what? I, that would take a lot of acting on my part, I, to tell you the truth, because I believe there's a whole sort of things associated with Eagle Scouts that I'm not. I think maybe there's something that still that still sort of stings me. It's like, yeah, I'm just not that kind of thing. I I can't do that. Um, and uh, maybe that was something that that sort of pushed me um to you know try to say okay well i can't be an eagle scout well maybe i could be a lawyer um that might have that might have had something to do with it um, well the other thing that might have had something to do with it i'm guessing you weren't very good in math in school math is that right uh i was okay i was actually good in geometry and um i was okay i was okay in algebra if, if i did the work i didn't i didn't do a lot of work are, are you suggesting there were times when you didn't do the work Oh, I didn't start working until I don't know uh, college. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really work a lot. And I'm going to ask you flat yeah. point blank. Yeah, Were you a bad student growing up. Oh God, yeah, and I was actually really infuriating too because I'd have bouts of really good work, but then like, you know, like yeah, I'm just not going to hand that in. So, so you mean to say yeah. you had sort of islands of decent academic work and an ocean of putridness? Oh, that's a good. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And, you know, and those teachers would be holding on to those islands, you know, like, you got this island that's so good here. Can we just get more? I'm like, ah. I'm like, ah, I'm, ah, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. You know. All right. Well, so tell me more about school. Were you, uh, what did you do? I mean, did you have anything to do with school, like sports or music or? Well, so I have an older sister, too. Oh, my older sister. Oh, my, my God. Sister, yeah, yeah. So listen, listen, listen to my, all right, it, because this is what people tell her. It's like. My sister's name is Grace, and people tell me her name is the embodiment of who she is. Um, Grace is incredibly graceful, um, and she uh, always did the right things, um, except she did have a lot of fights with my mother, which was were hilarious because we bring them up still all the time. Well, she was truly wretched, but other than that, uh, she was uh she did everything right she was in the band she was in the swim team she joined the key club uh the latin club uh all the clubs uh honor society all of that and so she was a little older so in freshman year i, I tried those out she's like oh you should come to the, the key club meeting <laughs> what? what is this i'm like i can't no way i'm like grace i love you but what what was that? Like, well, it's a meeting where they talk about people doing good things. I'm like, all right, I'm not. I, I don't know. This doesn't seem like the right place for me. So I was pulled along. <laughs> I was pulled along, and uh, I'm trying, but you know. And I'm like, look, I really want to do the right thing, but I, I just can't. Um, it doesn't. It didn't seem right to me. It seemed very. You know, everything so, seems so contrived and just didn't seem like something I belong to. It's like, well, that's for somebody else. That would be for the Eagle Scout, which I'm not. Uh, so uh, I kind of abandoned. I tried. I mean, I tried every I tried mostly everything. But for whatever reasons, I sort of uh, just uh, 
went back to my circle of friends who uh, um, we uh, we had our fun um, and that and I'm still, you know, a few of them I'm still friends with, too. Now, our, the only difference is back then we were we would um, plan parties in the woods all week long. And now we're in the same woods, but we actually uh, build mountain bike trails. Uh, so it's kind of funny. We always laugh about that. Like, oh, wow, it's just the same thing. Just less more beer, more, more bikes, less beer. Um, yeah, that's uh, all right. All right. So, so you're kind of floating through dealing with uh, it sounds to me like the problem with your family was they were all so accomplished. There was nothing left for you. Well, yeah. Then I have a younger brother, too. Oh, um, my God. Tell me about that. OK, so Frank, Frank, uh, he would infuriate me because he could be smart where I couldn't be. And he realized, like, wait a second, if I just take the 20 minutes to read this book people will think I'm a genius. And so I watched like in hopelessness, really. I'm like, I'm looking at my brother, Frank. I'm like, man, he's reading that book. He's reading that book on his own. Look at that. And he's got to go read another book. And so he, 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 uh, he read books and then he was a great student and he kind of laughed about it. He goes, you're so, he's like, why don't you just do it? Everything's so much easier in life. You can just go ahead and do it. I'm like, yeah, it's just not me. And so he he wound up uh, he went to uh, he got a scholarship to go to Cho, um, which is in uh, a, a fancy private school in town. Um, so he went there. Uh, and again, I'm <laughs> I worked at Cho. Uh, I worked in the dish room uh, and that was fun. I felt like I belonged more in the dish room than, than you were washing the dishes to support his scholarship. Is that a fair <laughs> statement? <laughs> I guess <laughs> I could bring that up to him. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun job, though. I mean, it was a, you know, the, they treated us great there, and I ate a lot of their food. So um, it wasn't a bad job, I got to say. Right, that's good. Might, that's see, you know, the dish room. I'm like, okay, there's a lot of dishes, and it's a lot of filthy. I'm like, yeah, this is uh, this is for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so what we know then about sort of your high school years with certainty is that you were a good dishwasher. Mm, yeah, yeah, that that is true. That is absolutely true. I was a great attitude. I was the guy you wanted washing your dishes, you know? Absolutely. And now let's fast forward a number of years. Are you still a good dishwasher? Yes, I am still a great dishwasher. All right. Well, that, that's that's a very important skill, okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, absolutely. All right. So somehow or other, you managed to survive the trauma of growing up. And you graduated from high school. I, I'm assuming you graduated from high school. I did. I did. And, it, you know, and people ask me my school rank. I'm like, you don't want to know. It, it was so we had about 224 kids graduating my class. And my rank was about like 200. So I was in uh, I just had zeros and stuff, you know, that just sort of some blocks of things I couldn't finish. Um, and just, I just felt no connection with the school. It just, you know, I felt connection with my friends, but the whole purpose of what was going on again, with pockets here and there, um, you know, like, okay, I found that interesting and in here, but overall I couldn't tie it all together. There'd be one class I like the rest, uh, whatever, I'm not going to worry about. So I always had a rainbow. My report card was a rainbow. I really, I would have A's to F's, um, that was what you would find. Like it could be anything. So I have. I bet you you were the kind of guy who was far prouder of the F than the A. No, I wasn't proud of the F. No, because the F was just stupid. Because I, I, I just didn't complete the assignment usually. 
That's usually what it was. I just didn't do it. I didn't make up the work. And it was like, I could have easily, you know, picked up a lot more points. A zero really, you know, a few zeros really hurt your average. You know, it takes a lot, you know, to overcome zeros, which, you know, you really can't. You need to throw some effort in there. You know, that's like a very problematic number, isn't it? The numbers. Yeah, are. zero is a real hard number for your GPA. <laughs> it's yeah. devastating. Uh, well, I mean, actually, you know, the funny thing is, if you were to ask people, I never thought of this before, you say, what's the single most important number, the most meaningful number in the world? It probably is zero, right? Kind of. Yeah, think about it. Right. Yeah. If you had one to pick from. Well, I, I would say this is like, you know, so so it was awful that I got all of these grades um, that I earned, <laughs> didn't earn, um, because when we got to law school, it was interesting because you know, I got bad grades. I got good grades. I knew what they were like. And, you know, people started seeing for the first time in their life bad grades, whereas, you know, I got my we're used my, to my, it. What's that? You were used to it. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, for me, I was now I'm in law school. Like, well, it's a different story. I'm, I'm working pretty hard there. So in other words, the rest of the class is traumatized. Right. And you're just, this is business as usual. Whatever. So I never, Anthony, it's your first true competitive advantage in your academic life, isn't it? I love it. I think you're right. I got all these losers. They've never had a zero before. They don't know what it's like. They're, 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 in, I mean, and that's the thing. You could go your entire scholastic career straight A's. Then you get to law school, you find something there. And, and I, I think it's still this way. There's a curve and they want people out there. There's a curve and they're looking to get rid of about a third of the class because there's too many lawyers. So you, you're like, they don't tell you that. They don't tell you that when you're like, yeah, I want to be a lawyer. Then you get there. You're like, OK, let's tell you how the deal is. Like, so we need a bunch of you to go and you're going to be in debt for that one year or two years and you won't be an attorney to pay it off. Um, so you're like, you're, I mean, it, you're like, you're, you're, you're like, okay, pressure is on here. Um, and, you know, it was, you know, started to become obvious, you know, people who weren't going to make it back, you know, like, you're not going to make it back, man. This is not for you. There, there, there's a mindset that's required for it. And just being, you know, just being uh, intelligent isn't going to do it. There's, there's sort of a, you know, I, I think, the word that I'm looking for is it's almost like I would say it's a healthy narcissism you need. Um, to, Sorry, healthy narcissism to get through law school? Pretty much. I would say so, because you have to believe really strongly in yourself. Did you have that healthy narcissism, Anthony? Yes, I did. By that time, I, sure. did. I did. And I also, by the way, I also had my dad going to law school with me. Now, that's interesting. Let's let's talk about that. That I find that. You know, it's fascinating, it's a little strong, but there aren't too many people who go to law school with their parent. Yeah. You know, or their parent, rather. By my, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, that was a wonderful thing. And I don't know if I would have done it. I certainly wouldn't have had much fun. Um, he really, it, it was one of the greatest things to actually go through. And this is how it happened. So this is how it happened. Um as I said, I, I got involved in my band, you know, 93 and by 98, we put, it was the pull, we pulled the plug on it. I didn't want to end it. I wanted to keep going. I felt we, you know, about three, four more years of putting our time in. I think we really had something. I think we could have really developed an audience. And so I was heartbroken. I was utterly heartbroken when the band broke up, lost my identity. What am I going to do with my life? And I immediately, you know, I'm like, okay, go to law school. I'm like, dude, don't do that because 
you're not in that space to do that. And so I was like, all right, yeah. I'm like, so I said, you get a job and then go to law school, work at least one year. I'm like, okay, I'll get a job. And uh, so I got a job at Ford Motor Credit using my finance degree. Uh, and at that point, my dad just started law school going full time at night. Uh, so that was 90, it was 98 when he was doing that. And I was living at, I was living at my parents' house still. Um, so I would come home from work and then see my dad for like 15 minutes or so, um, during breaks, we would talk about the law and I get mad at him cause I'm just sure he's doing it wrong. Uh, like, I know you're doing it wrong. Like, oh, I know more than you, even though you're in law school. And, and I was viciously, viciously jealous. And it was in December of that year. And I'm looking at Ford Credit. It was great. I was doing great at the job. Nice people. But it's a limit. You know, there's a limit. And I also knew, you know, I don't think my personality is right for the corporate world. I said, I, I don't know how I'm really going to go up the ladder here. I don't see myself um, kind of going along, get along and moving up. And then I'm like, even if I make the promotion, it seems like it's not going to really be enough. Uh, and my dad's going to school. And so uh, one day I went out with my uh, great friend, Tom, and I said, that's it. And I think I watched, and I watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas the night before, uh, where Johnny Depp, the, the, the lawyer character advises Johnny Depp to, um, you know, do all sorts of things. And so I told my friend, John, I said, as your attorney, uh, I advise you to get another beer. And then with that, I, went, I just said, I'm going to apply to law school. And then this is a part of the story. My dad has always been so supportive of every harebrained scheme that I have. I told him, dad, I'm going to join you in law school. Uh, and he goes, he tells me this. And he, he denies ever saying this. He says, I didn't say that. He's he, 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 he said this. He says, son, I don't think you can handle the workload. <laughs> and I was like, you. And I'm like, oh, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. You're going to get it. So uh, I was like, What's that about? I'm like, you know, it's funny because it did affect me. I'm like, or if it did, it motivated me. So I did all my applications and, and maybe that was his intent. He doesn't remember doing it. He doesn't remember saying it. Um, so I made, I got my applications in. The only school I was applied to was Quinnipiac. That was where my dad was. And, you know, I know I could live at their house and go there. Um, like, oh, I'll just go there. I'll just do the same thing. Uh, so oh, so I, Anthony, I, yeah. it sounds like you went to law school at a slightly older age. I was 28. Yeah. So a little bit. Yeah. yeah so I had that's, a, that's yeah. slightly older age. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, my dad was slightly older. He was 59 when he started. Uh, and uh, so I applied um, and then waiting for that letter uh, took forever. Uh, I, I'm working at Ford. I'm like, am I going to work here? And then it was in July, like this time of the year, it was actually this time of the year uh, in 2000 or 1999 when I got the letter. Uh, you know, I was going home. I was going home uh, for for uh, lunch every day to check the mail. And then one day there was a letter. I'm like, OK, that does look fat. This is back in the day when, you know, the fat letter was good. I don't know what they do now. Um, and I opened it up and then they, they surprised me. <laughs> this has really got me. Uh, so uh, they gave me a bigger scholarship than my dad. Uh, so it's like, oh, dad, what was your scholarship? Uh, I was like, oh, mine's a little higher. Okay. They thought I was applying to Quinn, uh, UConn as well. So they made it competitive. They made it the same cost for UConn. My S, my, my LSAT was pretty high. So that's kind of what, that, that's what helped me out a lot. I tested pretty well in the LSAT. So that sort of, you know, took care of my, 
my my GPA, which was okay, but uh, wasn't wasn't as flawless as one would hope. Um, so, so, so that got me in there. And um, Anthony, do you do you sort of attribute your success in getting the scholarship to your LSAT score? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, had to be. What else was there? There was. I mean, I did have right. <laughs> there wasn't a lot to hold on to. It was good grades. You know, good grades from a state school, but that's not really the thing that would, you know, necessarily get you into law school and get you. To, so, you know, look, it's a game. You know, they want people with high LSATs because, it, you know, I my stats help them in their recruiting. And so I was like, OK, that's that's the deal. Uh, so that's um, I was like, OK, well, my there's there's a nice benefit. I tested OK. Um, and then I started. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got that letter, went back to work and they knew I was leaving. You know, it was like, okay, I can't quite give you guys two weeks notice. I can give you six days notice. Cause I got to start studying. Um, and like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. So I left that and, uh, you know, then like jumping into that whole law school world, uh, my dad and I still had, you know, when it comes to about August 15th of the year, my dad and I will still look at each other. We'll start smiling. I'm like, oh, I know you're smiling. He goes, yeah, I know why I'm smiling. Because we're not going to law school right now. He's like, yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me about uh, your law school experience generally. How did what did you how did you find? Did you like it? Not really. Not Mr. really. Perrant, the facts yeah. in Hawkins Part, versus McGee. Okay, so so the parts the parts that I did like was exactly that the 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 instructions when the professors would ask questions. I I enjoyed that part. And that that and I would participate a lot. I was one of those people who who did participate a lot. Um, so that part part I liked. What I didn't like was that I really thought that it would be more. There would be. More, well, I didn't think that. I thought integrity was sort of a a a given that everybody had it. And, and this is not what I mean. I'm not. I'm saying emotional, intellectual integrity. Because what I found out, and I saw myself being sucked into it, is that everybody is afraid of sounding stupid. So everyone is running to a consensus agreement. Okay, here's the answer. Here's the answer, because this is the best answer. And it's really that consensus, because people are afraid of saying, oh, wait a second, I have something to say about that. It's what about that? And it's always the what about that, who is the person with more insight? Well, what about that thing? And so what I noticed in law school is that the culturing and how, how it wants to create, how it creates a group thinking. And there will be professors who will tell you, no, there's no right. Don't, don't look for the right answer, guys. I'm looking for you to, to spot issues and answer these issues. And everyone's ignoring that. They're like, no, what's the right answer? What's the right answer? And there's not a right answer. And everyone's trying to fit in so much. And I think also the stress you know, my dad was in a situation where he was already like, this is kind of going to be his retirement job. And for me, it's like, no, this was going to be my job. So the stress was utterly monstrous because you want to do well because you have to do well, because if you don't, you have law, you know, you have you have a law school that you have to pay for, but no lawyer degree that can pay it off. And also the personal humiliation. So you're really, really driven financially in every which way to succeed. And in that drive, you can lose some of the essence. And in that drive, you can be incredibly miserable, incredibly miserable. Um, so that's what I would say is about it, that it, it could be uh, a much better experience if it wasn't so much life and death, which is what it really feels like. It feels like sink or swim, sink or swim, like everybody swim. 
Well, that's creating a lot of tension in yourself to keep you motivated all the time uh, to perform. Um, and then, you know, I mean, that translates into the rest of your life that, that, that really does, you know, it sort of impacts the rest of your life too. And it can kind of make you, you know, a monster, uh, when you feel like you are, have to take off uh, on a lot of the world, you have to change yourself to fit into this lawyer mold, a world you, which you don't know you entered into and you have, you didn't know all, everything about it. You know, you entered into this lawyer world with a caricature of of what it is not with what it actually is and so this is what it is you're like well it's too late to get out it's too late to get out you're in okay make peace with it so um, it sounds like it was sort of like you just kind of jumped into this uh river with a current that was too strong to get out get off and you just kind of rode your way to graduation that's a good way to put it right it's like you cannot you're not going to control this current you're only going to float in it and the only thing you could do is not drown <laughs> yeah, so you didn't drown and so you got your, yeah. your AD degree and so there you are so now you're what 31 or something would that be 31 right? yeah 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 no so my oh my dad my dad and i took two classes together us uh, because we went to school because he went at night and i went full-time during the day but my second year i ranged my schedule i had to do a whole bunch of things um so that i could take tax with him at night um, and that was awesome. That was there were, you know, there that was just great to take tax with my dad because this is the thing I, you know, the things I didn't know about you, like things you learn about your dad. You know, who's been in a classroom, you know, like with other 90 other, you know, or I don't know how many 60, 60 students in a seminar, I think we're having. And so I'm sitting next to my dad and I find out some things about him. Okay, number one, everyone loves him. Oh my God, everyone loves my dad. They oh Dave, what's going on? And and I'm like, okay, but everyone really loves this guy. Why? Well, I sat in class and I see why, because he makes it fun. He made it so much fun. And like he get, he would get to a point where he doesn't raise his hand anymore. He just starts having a discussion back and forth with the professor. And I'm sitting next to him I'm like, okay, I just let him go. I'm like, okay, where's he going with this? Um, and then, you know, cause he would wake up in the morning and uh, at four in the morning, start studying, go to work, come to school. So, so for eight, from eight, and this is what we all noticed. We would just let from eight to nine o'clock, my dad was all fired up. And then we'd take a break around nine o'clock, get back. And that's when my dad would, would fall asleep. Um, so the guy was talking, <laughs> he'd be next to me just like this. And, um, you know, everyone's just like, yeah, Dave's just sleeping. It's a long day. And um, whenever, whenever um, like something important would come, uh, when Professor uh, Ferrari would say something important, I'd just give him a nudge. And he'd be like, do, 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 you just pick up, no problem. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just go. So he was kind of listening. Um, so, but and then, uh, and then what happened too, he, is he really understood, um, tax better than anyone else because he was a government bureaucrat his whole life. So he was like, he, he made sure I got an A. He's like, no, we're going to go through problems. And I got an A so easily. And he also helped about 10 other people in class get an A. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really, that was, that was really awesome. Um, and then grad, you know, then we, we got hooded at the same time. Uh, and, uh, that was amazing. I stood up there, uh, with my dad and everyone, big, big round of applause. And the thing about him going to law school, the older I get to his age, the more I appreciate it, like how difficult and hard. Oh, I, I think that's, that's an unbelievable achievement. Yeah. I would never do it. I would never do it. So myself. It sounds to me like, you know, we talked about the strength of the current and that I think that he was part of the current for you, wasn't he? That would make sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So, yeah. then, so then you finished law school. Yeah. So, so I finished right. law school. What happened? And uh, I actually had a rank much higher than my dad. Um, what? My, my, I graduated much higher than my dad. You did better than your father. I did. I did. And, I, and then I said, Dad, you remember what you said? I couldn't handle the workload. He goes, no, I never said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, so – uh, we studied for my, my dad had his way of studying for the bar. Um, and I'm like, dad, I don't know about that because that class, he would go to this class. It's like that class. I tried it. I said, it's going too slow. You're not covering enough material. He's like, Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm like, I'm going to go this other way and study it for it. Um, so the bar came, you know, we both went to different testing locations in Connecticut for some reason. I, I don't understand that. Um, and, uh, you know, both days at the bar, I sat for it. I finished every section an hour early. I'm a really, you know, a pretty good test taker. And then, you know, he he did it there. We came back. How was it? I'm like, you know, we, we what do you know, right? You're so nervous. Like, oh, I was this. You know, like, this is the time where we're just talking undermining each other's confidence and how we did, right? So it's like, I'll just shut up about it. Uh, I think my dad said that. I was like, yeah, good point. Um, and then the results came out in late September. And, uh, you know, this is something I always remember, like, no matter how confident you are, the moment of least confident is right before the decision. Because if you ask me how I did on the bar exam, the days of it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I did great. There's no way there's no way I didn't pass it. Um, But if you ask me right before the results were posted, I'm like, yeah, I didn't make it. My dad did. My dad did well enough, but but I failed. so I was hitting, this is back in days of dial up. So I dialed up for the results, hit and refresh, re- refresh. And I'm screening so fast. I go down the list. I see one parent. I'm like, there's just one parent. I'm like, oh man, I didn't make it. I look over. I'm like, oh wait, that's my name. And so I was so mad at my dad. I said, the day I passed the bar, it was an awful day because my dad didn't. And I said, you didn't study the right way. And then he goes, you know what? He goes, son, I didn't study the right way. I should have done that. I should have listened to you. I was like, and so he did. And really, this is what I would say. This is this is what I learned in law school. If you want to get good grades, it's incredibly easy. Just go down to the library, wherever, and get your 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 professor's old exams. They're gonna ask the same variation of every question. They will. And what all you need to know is those model answers. What they're looking for in that model answer. And so that's what I realized what I was doing that he wasn't doing. I said, dad, you know, the essays count for just as much as the multi-state and you're doing good on the multi-state multiple choice, but you haven't touched. And this was like beginning of July. I said, dad, you haven't even touched the, the, the essays. I said, wouldn't it concern you if you didn't touch the multiple choice the other way? Well, we're going to get to them. We're going to get to them. I'm like, you're not. No, you know, Anthony, the, the difference was simply this. Okay. Is that. You know, you were concerned with passing the exam. He was concerned with learning the material. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. They have nothing to do with each that, Exactly right. That's my right. Exactly. That's totally it. Totally it. Yeah. And then he's like, "It's a game." I'm like, "Dad, it's a game. That's it's a knowledge game. It's not really knowledge. It's not really wisdom. It's just the bar that they're trying to get rid of riffraff. And you were on the riffraff this time because you you tr- you taught it. You treated it as that." That And I think that's what I mean when I'm trying to say that the integrity, that people won't focus on learning, they'll focus more on the game of like, well, what's the game of getting getting high grades? Um, and the game of getting high grades, there is one. And I figured it out and it didn't require a ton of, by, you know, by my, my last year in law school, 
uh, I really was riding my bike a lot. I was having fun because I figured it out. I was like, this doesn't take all the time in the world. Um, and, uh, and then the bar exam too. I, I didn't, I studied intensely, uh, but I didn't study for more than three hours in any day. No way. No well, way. you were, you were, you were sort of working on the process of how to answer the questions. The problem with bar exams is at that point, there's not time to learn the stuff anyway. So bar exam taking, is more a question, I think, of consolidating what you do know into some kind of structure for answering the questions to make sure you pass, but not put one point more. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, you don't want to put too much effort into it because you're, I mean, I, I did, I had an incredibly high multi-state because I answered every single question ever asked on a bar exam for 10 years and I knew the right answer. You mean you got more answers correct than you needed to to pass? Oh, far more. Yeah. Why would you do something like that, Anthony? Because the intensity. You're I'm like, I'm like, I, I wanna like I don't you help yourself. Want. You couldn't help yourself. Is that what like, you're no, saying? No, and I like I'm figuring I I figured out how to do it. It's like, well, this is you know, this is the way to study. You have to, it's a volume game. It's really comes down to volume. Because everything is a trick. Everything is designed to be a trick. So you have to learn every trick. And the only way to learn every trick is to go over every question. Um, now, I did retake. I retook the bar exam in 2014 uh, in Florida. And it's not the same thing. It's not at all the same thing. Um, it's actually much worse. And what happened in those years is pretty frightening because, you know, I remember what it was like to be in a big room in 2002 um, and in Florida, you go to Tampa, you go to Tampa Convention Center, which is about five football fields wide. And um, I mean, it's massive. And the feeling that I got was about 80 percent of the participants, people taking it were on some sort of drug, Adderall. Uh, no, and I mean, it's huge. It's huge. It, it's huge. And it wasn't the same exam. While while the 2002 multi-state had. uh you know, a lot of tricks, a bunch of tricks, every single question in the the newer exam had a trick. And it was utterly painful for me because I'm like, well, OK, I know how to answer this question. I, I know how to answer the question of what a what the right answer would be to someone who designs this test. And I know what the actual right answer is. And they're two different things. You put you put the former. Right. Well, you're like, but, but, but then I'm thinking, well, well, maybe I have, maybe this. So, so it's like, okay, can you tell me the intelligence level of the person who wrote this exam? Because that's going to impact my answer because they don't, I'm like, there's, I'm like, would they actually know this would be the right answer? Like they would never know that, but this, I'm like, well, this word here is here. Like, no, they're not going to know that. So I actually did worse. Uh, I did a but lot. Did you pass? Yeah, I passed it. But well, then you should be proud. A pass is a pass is a pass. You should never get more points than are required to pass. Oh, I know, right? But it was it was really it was really awful. Uh, I, I can see that this has had a permanent. So yeah, it's gotten so I, so I was like, wow, man, the law's gotten even more miserable. It's gotten even more Most miserable. traumatic experience of your life, the Florida bar exam. Probably. Oh, I can boy. tell. I can tell. I mean, you know, when somebody's talking about a bar exam years later, I mean that's that's trauma. It is not right. No, and I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. You're having, you know, you're having a, you know, someone who graduated law school two years ago, you know, test you on things like, okay, look, you know, I'm sure you're right on some level, but these, these questions are not, no, there's so much more to them. And that's the problem. As you actually learn things, 
you learn how like these people who are claiming that they're all all this like no your answers aren't right and i could show you in every which way there's so many assumptions that i need to make to to find your answer your way but there's a bunch of things i could have said no this would be it and so that was just it was utterly painful and i would that's why i would suggest um you're better off not being a lawyer taking the bar exam just sort of learning the game learn the game and bar exams over here and the law is so different and that's awful is that the training to become a lawyer is not what you want. You know, the, 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 the exam, it's a, that's not what you want. That's not the skill set that is um, going to bring you over the finish line. Well, okay. So now, so, you know, you're traumatized by the Florida bar exam. Yeah. Was the result of the trauma that you decided to become a tax lawyer? It seemed to be. Oh, the no, I took the, no, I took, I took the, uh, I took the, the Florida bar in 2015. Uh, much later. Um, so well, I you're already traumatized. Uh, no, you know the other bar exams weren't. Well, no, actually, I was okay because hold it because I also took I passed the Connecticut one, and then my dad was taking the February one. Uh, to, he was retaking Connecticut. Um, and I said, all right, well, I'll, while you're doing that, I'll I'll take the Vermont. Did he bar. pass? He did pass. Ah, uh, that's wonderful. That's he fantastic. So he did great and he, he had no, you know, he, he had no problem. He, he, he killed it. Once he studied the material, he killed it. And I was like, see, I said, you know, if you did it. I knew you wouldn't have a problem. Um, so what I did is I, I took the Vermont bar uh, the same time, um, which was traumatizing as well. Uh, because uh, the first question was something that I didn't know was going to be on the, the exam. Um, what do you so mean you didn't know what was going to be on that? I thought your whole yeah. approach was knowing what was going to be on the exam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of made a mistake there, but I ended up doing okay. I actually ended up doing really okay, but it was traumatizing. But but uh, at that moment, you learned that you could answer questions where you had no idea what the question was, right? Uh, yeah. Except except almost, but this is so. Here was my stress: is that uh, my multi-state, multiple choice was well and good enough, but I had to take the uh, Vermont uh, essay question, so it's going to be specific about Vermont law because they're trying to keep out-of-staters out. You know, that's the, right. that's the, you know, so they act very tricky, Vermont-specific law. And I had a lot of things going on in my life. I was actually pretty miserable. And again, after I graduated law school, I was completely miserable. Uh, not sure that- Miserable after graduating from law school. Well, what's next? Because what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. I- I, I actually applied to be a, a public, especially uh, a, a appellate uh, public defender. Um, I was assigned one of the things I did in law school. I was trying to figure out is I, I did the defense appellate clinic. So I sign up, Hey, six credits. I'm like, Oh, that would be good. I need some writing. Um, and I'm like, Hey, I kind of identified with the, you know, I guess a defense attorney. Uh, so I said, Oh yeah, Hey, I'm into it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I was like, okay, we'll see how this is. And you know, this is what I noticed is that, the law is pretty like cases seem pretty like lame and boring until they're your case. And that I was assigned a violation of probation. And I think a lot of people look, like, oh, that's kind of a, a boring case or something like that. But when it became mine and that client was mine, uh, and it became the most important case in the world. And I was amazed by that. I said, the stupid violation of probation case became the most important thing in the world. And I learned something incredible with that. Um, we were going over issue spotting and I had the whole file, the case file, and it was big, it was, it was big. 
uh, I was going over everything. I said, okay, I went to my professor. I said, okay, I think I found the best issue. He goes, what is it? He goes, well, I said, uh, he was convicted of a violation of probation of these conditions. And I noticed in the transcript, it said that he didn't sign those conditions of probation. So it seems like if they want to hold you to additional conditions of probation and they give you something to sign and you don't sign it, well, what was that whole purpose of the signing part? Seems like your lack of signature would make those special conditions inoperative. Pretty simple to me. And uh, it, was, it was, he goes to, he's like, ah, no, yeah, I think that's not a good issue. He goes, why don't you argue the authority of the probation officer to, to uh, violate? I'm like, okay, look, my dad actually worked at the adult department of probation in Connecticut. I said, dad, what do you think of that? He goes, that's not going to work. That's not going to work at all. Uh, so what we, uh, uh, so what he did, um, so I said, all right, I'll argue that issue. But what I did is that uh, I slid in my argument about the not signed violation of probation into the facts section of the brief. I put that right in there like, oh, look at this, look at this. He put it right in that facts section. So uh, we go up to oral argument. My dad, uh, to, to Connecticut Appellate Court, my dad's there. He's all proud. I get up there. And he just, he, my dad said, he goes, oh, they loved you. They loved you because they said they had a live one and they loved giving me a hard time. But I was standing up there, like not backing down. He goes, oh, you did great. He goes, he was so proud. He said, you didn't back down for anything. The thing is, is they didn't mention one thing about what I said about the unsigned, um, the unsigned uh, terms. They didn't mention anything about that in, in the oral argument. So is over. And then I get a call from from uh, uh, from Professor Zeldis, uh, who who later became the, became the chief of the appellate division. And he said, Anthony, I said, what's that? He goes, you're not going to believe this. I said, what's that? He goes, they're requiring supplemental briefing on the issue that you raised in the facts. I said, really? He goes, yeah, they want to know about this. I said, OK. And so. Uh, you know, I talked to him and, you know, we, we threw together a response uh, to, the, to the supplemental briefing because that was the issue they wanted to talk about. Well, what happened was the state saw that and, um, well, ultimately we ended up prevailing. Um, we, so my first appeal, my first case assigned to me in law school um, as a law school student, I prevailed in over the advice of my of my professor. And so, you know, Marty was, he was, he was, he was very gracious. He was like, that was awesome. And then the state's attorney, you know, they were, they were great too. Hey, congratulations on your win. Um, so I really thought that, okay, look, I just won a case in law school. Well, not too bad. Right. So I thought they'd give me a job because they're like, all right, I'll let now. And now Marty is the chief of the office. So I graduated and I said, oh, okay, yeah, I'll get a job. You know, no problem. You know, like, you know, and I'll be doing that. Then he called me and said, Anthony, I, I said, I said, I can't, I can't hire you. I said, I want to, trust me. He goes, I don't have the budget and I'm under intense pressure. It's like the resumes I'm getting are from people with 20 years experience. And I just can't take you, even though like, you know, um, so uh, that didn't work out. But what I was able to do is I was able to get a contract uh, with the special. Uh, so when there was a conflict in the case, I would get the appeal. So it ended up working out, but not, not in that way. Um, not, not in the way that I was looking for. So. I didn't have a job when I graduated and I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, uh, and I didn't want to work in uh, New York city or anything like that. There were, I, that's where basically the jobs were. 
And that entire lifestyle was something that I didn't sign up for. I'm, I'm a, more of a country guy. I don't like cities whatsoever. Um, so I was like, well, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. So that's that. what happened was, you know, I was looking for jobs. Did I find a small town with a high percentage of criminals? Uh, yeah, well, no, no. What happened was uh, the what what destroyed criminal law was that everybody applies for a public defender now. Everybody qualifies. And there's really not much work you do as a lawyer. What you do is you just manage people into their pretrial diversion program. It's really not a lot of work. It's just processing. It's not a lot of legal work. It's more, okay, make sure you show up on time. Okay, this here's here's the deal. Okay, do this, do this, do this. So it's really not a lot of work and there's really no point. A lot of it, and, and the public, I think, probably correctly sees there's not that much different work a private attorney is going to do for you than than a than a public defender unless you know a few cases here and there so it's just certainly not enough to to make a, a career out of you can't you can't really you know that used to be a career that's not a career anymore um at all so that was something i was able to do so when my dad so my dad and i started our business together because no one wanted to hire him because he was too old and i had didn't have the experience and so we started our firm together and then i was able to get you know i was able to get a contract with the state um as a so, so the firm you started, it was general law practice. Yes. Basically? Yeah, I did. My dad did real estate closings and I did uh, criminal and appellate work. Um, but the criminal part was just awful because you just learn everything terrible about humanity. And, you know, your clients aren't great. I mean, they got issues um, and the system has issues. And I feel a sympathy for everybody in the process. I feel sympathy for the accused, the, 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 uh, the, the accused defense, the prosecutor, uh, the police, the judge, everybody in the criminal system seems to be losing because it's just a horrible system. And you have a few things that, that are going to guarantee it is that, you know, you have a lot of psychopaths in this world and they're really good at roping people into their conspiracies. And so when people are caught, the person more likely to to spill the beans is going to be the psychopath who's going to dump it on the person who did do something wrong, but wasn't the true instigator, wasn't the true criminal. And so you see this time and time again where somebody won't take a plea. Why didn't you take a plea that time? Because this time I actually didn't do it is what they tell you. And but yet there's all this evidence that comes out. And oftentimes it's somebody who really was terrible, who's saying all these things in a statement you can't overcome. So it's just utterly awful when, you know, the system will reward the person um, who did more wrong um, and the person who did do something wrong, but not the worst will get the full brunt. And I had one case that was just it just ended it for me. Uh, it's, he's still in prison. I have a few cases that actually did, um, one case he was there. It was, it was, uh, it was, um, a home invasion robbery, which is a hard one to defend. Uh, and, uh, there was a murder with a baseball bat and my client is fairly, uh, autistic retarded. Uh, and he went along with this to the robbery, um, and the state knew he didn't ha really have anything to do with it. But the other guy beat the, the, the doctor and his elderly wife with a baseball bat and he murdered them. And so my client is there looking guilty. And he's like, OK, what should I do? He goes to trial. I didn't do it. He goes, look, I, I robbed. But I didn't know that guy was going to do that. You know, like, well, hey, felony murder, man. This is the way it works. This is this, this is too bad. That's um, so the guy who was really awful got a reduced sentence. 
and then my client is doing the time. And what happened, he goes to trial and his grandmother, who's his mother, is, is going to die. She can't handle the stress of him facing the death sentence. So he decides to uh, plead guilty with the understanding that he could uh, he could challenge his confession that he made. Uh, he believes that should be kicked out. Uh, so he'd be like, OK, I'll plead guilty. Well, he comes to find out. I was like, no, you can't you can't plead. Uh, you can't. We, we, who said you could appeal your uh, your uh, uh, who said you could appeal the admissibility admissibility of your confession? And he goes, well, that's the whole point. And like, oh, you can't. You were advised of the direct consequences of your plea. I'm like, and actually, that was actually he had a really strong issue there. They didn't actually advise him. So that that actually should have been reversed. But that's the way it goes. And so you have, a, you know, you have a guy who's like, OK, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison because your crime was being naive, really stupid and naive and just being around the wrong people. Meanwhile, that really bad guy is out there. And then one other case that did it, I had another guy who, who just didn't do the crime. And he is uh, um, everyone. No one would testify who did the crime when it with the trial there because the guy who did the crime was a really murderous jerk. And he would kill people. So no one really said, OK, I can't tell you who did it. They're all like this. But then the murderous person was dead in a, in a gunfight. So uh, my client brought a habeas saying, hey, look, actual is innocence. Now that this guy is dead, everybody's willing to testify that I wasn't it, that it was him. So he enters this in there and they're just like, yeah, no, we're going to do that. And so I had an appeal. We, 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 we argued it um, and we lost. And, you know, he was put in prison in 1997. And I just checked on him. Uh, he's one town over in Cheshire, the Cheshire Correction Institute. And there he is. And I'm just thinking about this guy. Uh, he was born in 19, he was born in like 1983. And the things that he's missed out on, he's been in prison since 1997. And here it is, is 2023. His scheduled release date is 20, uh, 2049. And so that just, I can't handle this. And I just think about these guys all the time. So uh, what happened, we decided to, um, uh, a postcard came in the mail one day, my dad and I, and it said, hey, revolutionize your 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 practice with tax. I was like, hey, dad, what do you think about this? And he's like, he looked at me, he's like, well, he said, uh, normally I would say no. So we should probably go with the opposite of that. And he goes, well, let's think about this. He goes, what would be our barriers to entry? He's like, well, I said, we don't know about tax procedure. You know, we don't know what it's like. We understand the theory. We have all that, but we don't know really no tax procedure. He goes, well, that's something we can learn. I'm like, yeah. He goes, and then it's like, well, then what are you dealing with? Like, you know, because we're dealing with criminals and, you know, uh, you just, it's not fun. I was, um, it's like, well, those are clients who likely have money. And once you help them, they actually might do better in life. Like you actually might help them. You might not just help them because it's, it's a little demoralizing when you, you sweat to get someone off of a charge. And then the next day they're charged with another crime. Like, oh, wow. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Wow. Amazing that. So that's the part that really sucks is when you 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 invest of all of yourself into your clients who aren't worth it. And I mean, that's what I mean, because they don't value their own life. And so what I found in tax, and this is the big difference, is that um, these are people who, who you can help. You can help. If you help them, you're really leveraging um, my abilities. If I help someone with a tax problem, I know, OK, what, what else is going to happen in their life? Well, the rest of their life is going to be better. Because our tax code punishes effort. You know, it really does. It punishes effort. So, you know, these are all people who are working hard. So if you fix this thing, they'll go back to being productive. And now, okay. And they're, hey, by the way, they're going to need tax preparation forever and ever. 
Uh, so that's a little bit better of a, a business model. So that's really why, um, you know, I got into it uh, just because I was trying other things. And then I found that, and then as my, you know, my dad and I really ended up enjoying it uh, tremendously. And um, my dad blew me away with how fantastic of an attorney he was because he doesn't have that presentation of an attorney. He is so likable and down to earth and goofy and fun that you wouldn't think somebody like that could be the most effective attorney of all time. But that was his charm that he was so awesome at, at just at, 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 at settling down and just taking away IRS's employees like anguish and anxiety. They just felt great around them. And they just, he's like, he would disarm them. He would disarm them. And I would just watch it. I'm like, this is amazing. And I was always sort of like, I don't know if people know how good my dad is. And people would always say, oh, Anthony, you're the brains behind this. I'm like, are you nuts? Are you nuts? And that that actually really, you know, infuriated me because I think I present, you know, I could present a little bit more like what a, what an attorney was. But my dad was really the brains behind it. and he's helping me on stuff right now, too. And when he says something, you know, this is what I know when he points to something, he was here. He circles it. I'm like, yeah, that's the winning issue, you know, and that's what I know about him. So that is what, um, you know, that's where I've been, you know, incredibly fortunate to, to do this. It just, you know, what, what was my dad got Lyme disease in 2011, uh, which pretty much forced him to, to retire. Um, and we were doing great before that. That was the, the, the one downside, but he's, you know, he's around now and helping me advise. So that's how we got an attacks there. Um, Really quite interesting. Why don't we call it here for today? Yeah, we'll pick this up. Well, you know the the uh, the, the the Anthony Parent Chronicle. So we'll, we'll go on to part two next. Oh time. my God! Right? Yeah. This no. I, well, yeah. We are, yeah. We're missing a few. Yeah. So yeah. We we could go on forever. Unfortunately. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate this. So yeah. We'll uh, we'll get to part two. Uh, you know, you're going to have to share this, uh, particularly this episode with your father. I think that he'll totally appreciate. I have, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think actually, I think all my family, they, they, I don't know if they know, um, what. So, I mean, I just one know. last question today, Anthony, before we pick up with this next time, is your biggest regret in life that you never became an Eagle Scout? I could have done it. And it was really easy. I could have done it. Uh, it could be. I had it in the bag, and I and I knew and I, and I knew it. But I think I don't know. It just uh, maybe I wanted to escape my brother's shadow too. There might have been that. I don't know. I guess we could say life is full of merit badges. It's just that some count more than others. Would that be right? <laughs> right on. There you go. Well, thank All right. you. We'll be picking this up.